The word of God that comes to us today is from St. Peter, who says this outlandish thing, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you, all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wow, it is wonderful to see some of you I haven't seen in a little bit. Others uh, that I haven't seen ever, so welcome. Uh, it's so great to see you guys uh, and to um, an honor to bring God's word to you today. Today we're going to look at the text, the epistle reading in 1 Peter. So if you have a bulletin or Bible, I invite you to grab it, take a look at it, so you know that I'm not just making things up. This is a great text about how to receive and live out the most important of things in, in this life. Take a look at verse 13. 13 and 14 tell us that suffering is bound to happen. He says, don't fear their fear, don't be troubled. Verse 15 he says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here Peter is telling us, be ready to share the hope you have. Anybody here have hope? Yeah. Right? If, you were all, uh, if we were down south, you'd be saying, amen, preacher. Yeah, preach it. Yeah, we have hope, right? Some of us have hope for you know, our favorite sports team. Our hopes are high before the season, and then around here they're dashed you know, after the season. But that's okay. We muster it back up. We look forward to something good happening right? in sports in our lives, like you hope that your kids don't move too far away, like to Irvine, California or something. Uh, you hope they come back. You hope that they're going to be good people. You have hope, right? You have hope that, uh, that your family will be happy. And all these things that you hope in, you have a different amounts of hope based on, is that really going to happen? Are the Bills ever going to win, right? You have varying levels of hope. Well, as Christians... Sometimes we feel like our hope is varying, but it's actually rock solid. It's a matter of receiving it, recognizing the hope we have, because our hope is certain, right? Um, today, I'm gonna, I would like to do a little tour of my own personal, what Peter here says. He says, be ready to share the hope that you have with everybody. All right, so I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do what Peter tells me. I'm going share to share with you the hope that I have, all right? And it starts with our, starts with our business card, all right? You can have one of these, by the way. They're free. You don't have to pay anything for them, right? They're at the door. Um, the email there is wrong, but the second one is right, so you can use that one. Uh, we got to get new ones. Anyway, the part on here we don't have to change is, is uh, you can't really see it on the front, but on the back you can definitely see it. What's it say? Hope. Right, and underneath it says, hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Why do we have hope? Because he who promised is faithful. What is our hope in? The promises of God for us. And they are certain. All right? So we're going to look at... Uh, so my tour is including on not only the text from First Peter, but also where you're sitting right now. I'm going to use some of the things around us to share the hope that I have with you, the hope that we all possess. All right, take a look. Um, Peter goes on... Uh, and tells us to share our hope in a gentle way. Look at verse 15. Or sorry, verse 18. This is where our hope starts. Everybody got it? It's the second paragraph. For, it says, for Christ also suffered. Now, there's one word there that normally I would read over, 
That word also. Christ also suffered. And it'll tell us in a moment how Christ suffered in a unique way. But he tells us here that Christ, as well as me and as well as you, suffers. Right? Some, some faiths, some religious groups, they try to make faith an illusion. If you're, I'm sorry, suffering an illusion. If you're suffering, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're, if you're experiencing suffering, you're not yet arrived. Others, even Christians, say, well, if you're, if you're a real strong Christian, you're not going to have suffering. Life should be good. You should power through it. But here, Peter, who, by the way, was martyred, hung on a cross upside down, he says Christ also suffered. So here he recognizes and tells us that there is a meaning to our suffering. Do we always know what that meaning is? No, we don't. But we do know from the whole Bible that God takes what is evil and uses it for good. He takes our sufferings and and reforms it into something that he can use. Something that we will look back on and, and give thanks for. Now, in the moment, we don't say that, right? No way. But God is merciful. Our Lord has suffered as well as us suffering. So take a look again. It goes on and says, For Christ also suffered. So in your Bible, I would circle that word also. But then it says, Christ also suffered in a unique way. Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. All right. Anybody here a bird watcher or like to go out in nature and watch things? Spend some time outside a little bit? Um, I've seen something lately that is very rare, right? It wasn't a, a pileated woodpecker or an ivory-billed woodpecker. It was something much more rare in Buffalo. You know what I've been seeing lately? Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Sean's right. Maybe I've been talking to Sean about it. Yeah. We've been seeing the sun lately, which is very rare around here, isn't it? You know, like, wow, thank God. It's awesome. So think of the sun for a minute. As much as we love it and are so grateful for it, how many of you just stared at it this morning, just, just peered into its, into its midst and just fixed your gaze on it? Anybody? You're like, yeah, it was me. It was me, right? <laughs> Those of you who can't see right now. So think about for a minute, and I've said this before, but uh, a reminder for myself and all of us, you can't stare at the sun from, I don't know, is it 87 million miles away or something? The scientist has to help me. The sun is that far away. Now think for a moment, and this is figurative language, but God has formed millions of suns, and he holds them figuratively in the palm of his hand, right? We can't even look at one of them without blinding our eyes. How could we possibly look at the face of the maker of all of them in our condition, in our sinful condition, where we have spurned our creator. How can we? We'll burn up just like our eyes will burn up, except for this, right? So this is our message that we have hope in. Christ also suffered once for sins. That means he has suffered for your sins. All of them. The righteous for the unrighteous. Now we all suffer in some ways because we're bad, right? Now don't take that too far, right? I'm not saying whatever you're going through is because you're bad. We're a part of a broken world. We contribute to that. The people in our household might be like, I'm getting so sad because so-and-so is mean to me. Right? So in some ways, we all suffer because we're part of this broken world. There's only one who suffered without being a contributor. Right? That's Jesus. The righteous for the unrighteous. Well, what good was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be telling you 
where do I see this in our building, in this house of God? Well, when you first walk in, in the middle of our, of our uh, business card is straight up. What do you see when you first walk in? The cross. Christ suffered for us. Now, maybe someday we'll have uh, a corpus there, a statue of Jesus, either suffering or exalted. Uh, we don't see Christ there, but we know that is where Christ suffered. So that's a good reminder for us for the hope that we have, that he suffered. Well, what good was it? What does Peter tell us? Suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So what? Help me out. To bring us to God. And this is a word of, of carrying. He carries us to God. He carries us to that place of glory where without him, we would burn up and fizzle, right? But he brings us there as his honored guests. He puts a robe, his own robe of righteousness on us. And then there forever we can dwell with God. Good stuff, right? You have hope in that? Absolutely, you ought to. All right, it goes on and says, that's very clear. All that's very clear. And Peter goes on and says that this Christ... He was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Okay, we understand that. And then he says, verses 19 and 20, some words that, that are hard. Uh, take a look. It says, In which, that is in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. And he goes on. And this is the one place where we get our, the line in, in the Apostles' Creed that says, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. There's no other place in Scripture that's really clear, even as clear as this, that tells us that Christ descended into hell. That's what it says. He went and preached to the spirits in prison. What it means is a little confusing. So I asked my good friend Martin Luther, and uh, he has a lot of opinions. He's written, uh, if you collect his works, it's about this big, 57 volumes. Each one is a, you know, a nice, big, fat thing because he wrote a lot of things to help people. And so when he came to this passage, he says, ah, oh, this is a glorious passage. It is wonderful. And I will tell you what it means. No one knows. That's what he said. No one knows what this part means. It's a little confusing, isn't it? What does it mean that he descended into hell? Is it part of his suffering or part of his glory? Is he there to redeem those spirits? Is he there to do something else? We don't know. We don't know. So we just say it and say, moving on, because we just can't know the answer to that question. But I think what, what Peter is doing is something bigger. He mentions that to get to the next thing. What's the next thing? Take a look. It says this. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So he's talking about Noah and his ark. He's doing all that to get to Noah. Noah who preached and, and Noah who was saved through the ark, through the water. Uh, does that make sense? So that's what he does, all that. So, and then he says, well, I'll get to that in a moment. So think here, what our whole building is a representation of the ark. Come and join the ark, and you will be saved. Come to the holy Christian church, hear God's word of grace, and you will be saved. This whole building is an ark. It's upside down. It is pointing to heaven. It is shaped like a boat. Do you ever think about that? 
you are sitting in a place, well, you don't get to row, right? There's no oars because you just go for the ride, right? But this is an ark. It is designed like that. How do I know? What are these white things right there? What are those things? Those are waves, the waves of temptation that crash in upon us, that want to draw us out, but cannot. Here in the ark of the Christian church, here where Jesus speaks to us and feeds us and washes us, here we are safe from all these waves of temptation. Make sense? That's my hope. My hope is that coming to hear God's word and receiving his grace, I'm kept by him. As we prayed that prayer, that song, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. He goes on and says this outlandish thing that I started with. So there you have the ark, Noah, saved through the water. And then he says baptism, which corresponds to this. And the word there he uses is antitype, meaning a bigger picture of that small thing. So the ark is a small thing. He says baptism now saves you. Now you Lutherans and Catholics, you're like, yeah, I grew up hearing that. Baptism saves you. I became a Christian and went to Moody Bible Institute, and I never heard baptism saves you. I heard your first act of obedience is to get baptized. Obedience is you're sharing with the world that you follow Jesus. And although there might be some aspect of that, here it says that baptism now saves you. So this is what's confusing to me. When I became a Lutheran, I'm thinking, what? I've read the Bible. I've read that it says that Jesus alone saves you, right? I've read that it says you are saved by grace alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So you're saved by Christ alone, by his grace alone, and by receiving it in faith alone. So I came to these kind of passages, like this one and the one that Peter, by the way, said on on the day of Pentecost, uh, repent and be baptized and you'll re- you, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Passages like this that say baptism now saves you. And I said, ah, I'm not so sure about that. I never noticed that before. I don't think I like that. I don't know if I should be a, a Lutheran or not because that really grinds against me. But then I realized, or I thought to myself, well, baptism can't save you because baptism is a work. And we're saved without works, right? We are saved apart from works. Scripture tells us that a hundred times. So I thought, well, how, how does this work then? If we're saved through baptism, it's because baptism is a work, yes, but it's not our work. It's the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves any way he wants. He saves eight souls on the ark. He can save through baptism. We said this on Easter. He's risen from the dead. He has all authority. What does he do? Baptize. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. That's what he does with his power. Well, okay, what is baptism? Peter will tell us a little bit. It's not a removal of dirt from the body, so it's not just getting washed. But he says, it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Stick with me here. What is baptism? He says literally this. It's a good conscience pledge into God. A good conscience pledge into God. You want a good conscience? God has made a pledge to you. In baptism, you are mine. I put my name on you. You belong to me. So here in this space, it's pretty small. It's a bowl. But we can remember that we are baptized and say, I belong to you, Jesus. In baptism, God makes a promise to us. 
All right, moving on. Uh, and lastly, uh, he says this, let me back up, he says, baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So none of this would matter. Like, all of this would be farcical if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. And for all you visitors, I'm going to show off uh, my normal people know at least five reasons why Jesus rose from the dead. All right, quiz time. All right, got it? How do you know Jesus rose? Not just in my heart, but for real, in history. Come on now. Eyewitnesses. Lots of eyewitnesses saw him at different times. Empty tomb. Even the enemies acknowledged there was an empty tomb in Jerusalem and couldn't stop the movement by showing the body. So eyewitnesses, empty tomb. Now we have three Fs. Followers. His followers lived and died as though they believed it. None of them, when they were being killed, said, well, we just made it up, right? So the followers lived like they believed it. They showed love amazingly. All right, there's two more. What? Say it again. Foes. Enemies of Jesus came to believe in him after he rose from the dead. Like Saul had no reason to believe in him. Uh, and others. Priests. A whole bunch of them. And last one. Family, right? Family like his brother James, his brother Jude. Those are just five. I could come up with more. But you can remember those two E's, three F's. You ready for the exit pass? Yeah. All right, good. Can't leave without it. All right. So none of this would matter except Jesus rose from the dead, Right? And he's gone into heaven and sits at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Where do I see this resurrection from the dead? Right here? This is my own confession of hope. It's these arches. They're, in some ways, I think, like the empty tomb. And they show us Christ is risen. How many of them are there? Show me on your fingers. I know I'm going back to my middle school roots here, keeping you awake. All right, who says seven? Who says eight? Who doesn't know? Right. There, there are eight. Here's the thing. Seven of them are inside, and one is outside. To me, that's because our hope goes out into the world. It's not just for us. It's not just get on the boat, you'll be fine. It's, yeah, come and receive Come and be washed, come and be fed, come and be guided, and then go out and be ready to share the hope that you have. In the name of Jesus, amen.